Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Bullying can be one of the toughest things to deal with. When a child is being bullied, the anguish over knowing what to do and how to help or even how to not make it worse affects everyone in the family. My guest today is Danielle Gray, who recently opened the Purple House Clinic in Birmingham. This centre specialises in offering mental health and neurodiversity services for children and adults. As a clinical psychologist, she's passionate about the importance of promoting good mental health for young people and their families. Welcome back to Brummy Mummies. My name is Zoe Chamberlain. I'm a journalist, author and mum. I launched Brummy Mummies as a community for families to share with you stories from the most inspiring mums and dads to help you find out how they juggle family life and everything that comes with it. Danielle is really reassuring in her approach to dealing with bullying and the effects it can have on mental health. Let's get straight into talking to her now. Hi Danielle, great to talk to you today. I think that um, bullying is something that worries so many families Um, And it can feel so impossible to know what to do. What signs do you think parents should be looking out for in order to spot if their child is being bullied? I think absolutely it's such an important topic and bullying can have such a significant impact on young people's mental health. I think what parents need to look out for is actually that parents know their children the best. And if a parent's gut instinct is that there is something wrong, there's something not quite right, there's been a change in their child's behaviour, then we need to stop and think. We need to slow down and to be curious about that gut feeling and what it is that might be going on for um, our child and that young person. I think bullying can occur in all sorts of different spaces. It can be at school, at sports clubs, online. So if we notice changes in behaviour and other signs, often those signs are communicating something to us. They're communicating that there's something that isn't okay, there's something that's um, that child is struggling with. So there might be all sorts of signs that we can look out for. It might be um, that you've noticed your child is spending more time in their bedroom. They might have fallen out with their usual friendship groups, they're not hanging around with their, the same friends as they were, or that you notice that their friendship groups has changed. They don't want to attend the same clubs or activities. Um, And they might be spending more time alone because it's that they feel that they've been isolated and left out from their friendship groups. Um, You might also notice that your child is reluctant to go to school or wants to skip classes. There might be unexpected stomach aches or illnesses on certain times of the day. In the mornings, they might be telling you that they're feeling unwell and don't want to go to school. Or on 
in certain lessons or for PE days that they don't want to go into school at those times. Bullying is really tough and I think it can mean that kids carry around really big emotions. So you might notice that your child is becoming more introverted or withdrawn. You might notice changes in the relationship with you that actually they're less willing to talk about their day when they come home from school. They want to avoid conversations. Um, and it, it might be that you feel that there is more distance in the relationship between you and your child. And that might be a sign that actually they're really struggling um, to let you know that there are difficulties that they're facing um, outside of home. I think bullying can also mean that kids carry around really big feelings. Um, you might notice that your child becomes frustrated, angry, irritable, um, and these emotions seem to go from zero to 100. If they're feeling really upset, they might struggle with sleep. You might notice that they're really struggling to sleep. There might be a loss of appetite. Um, and there might be other things that we notice that they're coming home and they've got things missing out their school bags. They have got missing items, missing money. They might um, notice that their clothes are torn, um, cups and bruises, anything that's that, that sparks that gut feeling that actually there's something going on for our child. I think we live in a world where bullying isn't just left on the playgrounds and as children have more and more access to technologies and mobile phones, bullying can come home with them. So we might need to notice about how they're using technology. Are they spending more or less time on their phone or devices? Is it that you notice that when a notification pings that their body language is telling you that that's made them feel really worried? Um, and that might be really tricky for our kids because actually online bullying can sometimes be anonymous. So it's bullying that not only comes home with them, but bullying that they might not be able to put a face to. So I think when it comes to online bullying and when we're noticing that, how it is that we have conversations with our children, how we acknowledge that they're growing up in that really complex world where actually they live their lives seamlessly between the online and offline world. So we might need to think as parents ourselves about how we have conversations, how we think about um, ways to keep our children safe online. And if there are things that we need to do at home, is it that we keep mobile phones downstairs and, and we don't have mobile phones in bedrooms. Um, we have time as a family where we don't use technology just to give our kids, if they are having a tough time online, just to give them that bit of space. So what's the first thing a parent should do to try to help? I think it can be really upsetting and challenging to find out that your child is being bullied. Um, it's really hard to think that your child is struggling, so it's understandable that it's going to bring up big feelings for us as parents. We want to protect and to keep our children safe and we might feel upset and angry that our child has to face something as tough as being bullied or any experience that is that leaves them feeling worried or upset. Um, you might find yourself becoming emotional, even angry at seeing your child um, upset and worried. But it's important, I think, is that first thing is that we stay calm that we find a space to be able to listen to our child, to offer reassurance that it was the right thing to do, to come and let us know that things were hard. Uh, because it takes a lot for a young person to share their difficulties. And they're probably, at that point, the first thing they want is just to be heard. Um, I also think the first thing that we might need to think about is to offer reassurance to offer reassurance that bullying isn't your child's fault. We're never bullied because of who we are. We're often bullied because of someone's attitude towards different. 
So just letting our child know that they've done a really brave thing in coming to talking to us and that they're good enough. Um, and I think we need to talk and that can be really difficult um, because we're talking about tricky things. So how it is we create that safe space where our child feels okay to come and get things off their chest. Because when we're bottling things up, that can be a really heavy load for our child to carry. So we need to think about how we have difficult conversations, um, how it is that we pick our moment. Because if we jump into maybe um, approaching our child and sharing our concerns with them, they might want to run for the hills because they don't want to talk about the difficult stuff. So how do we create that safe space? Is it we curiously bring up the topic and share our concerns when we're watching a film, we're out on a walk, we're standing side by side doing the washing up. But creating that space then where we can validate our child's experiences in a non-judgmental way. Um, and I think one of the things that's really helpful as a first thing to do is to try and understand what it means for our child. We often look at our child's experiences through our own lens, through as being an adult, but how we really slow things down to think about for our child, what does that mean for them? Why is it that they're struggling? How are they making sense of what it's meant to be bullied? Um, and I, I suppose overall, the first thing to do is just to really slow things down, to sit with our child's difficult emotions and to not make judgments, to have that space where we can think about why it's difficult and what we can do to support them and really asking those curious questions. Yeah, I think that's really helpful. I remember talking to a mom who said she found it easier to talk to her daughter whilst in the car when she was driving because it was less intense than being kind of face to face and like she could open up a bit more that way. Um, yeah, it's interesting. But what happens if a child's not wanting to open up about it? How do you reach that child when they're not saying they're being bullied and they don't want to talk to you about it? And that's really tough because all we want to do as parents is to look after and take care of our children. We want to be able to help, but there might be real worries that our child has um, about what it means to share those experiences and what it might mean to open up and let other people know that they're struggling. For children who are being bullied, it might be that they've made sense of that by internalising other people's behaviour, that they have internalised those negative judgments and started to believe that actually it's their fault and responsibility that they're being bullied. And that can really erode a young person's self-esteem and self-confidence. They might become quiet, introverted, anxious, and that might then mean that they feel really embarrassed and don't want to share their experiences with other people. So I think it goes back to that. If we've got that gut feeling that there is something that our child is struggling with, then actually just offering that reassurance that you've noticed, that you notice that something is really hard and that you're there to talk about it in a non-judgmental way and, and to really listen and just to start off with to be that space where you can listen um, and offer reassurance that it's not okay that they're being bullied and that you will be there to offer support. It, it might take time and it might be a slow process and we might, and that might be really difficult for us as parents to sit with that actually when we're noticing that our child is struggling, we want to do, we want to take action and to be able to support them to solve problems and difficulties. But sometimes we might just have to um, 
recognise that we need to slow that down and just to go at the pace that our child is letting us know feels okay. I think sometimes that's the hardest thing as a parent, isn't it? You just want to sweep in and fix everything. But yeah, you've got to do it at the child's pace. I know some families worry about the impact of going and talking about this at school. Um, Obviously, some children say, oh, gosh, that's just going to make it worse. What would be your advice in that situation? I think these are really understandable anxieties. We never want to make things worse for our kids, but it's going to be really important to raise concerns with schools. Schools will have bullying policies um, and meeting with school to share concerns and plan how school will support your child and implement the policies is going to be really important. But I think alongside that, throughout that process, we need to keep our child at the centre of that. So as much as possible, involving our child in discussions with school, making sure that they feel their voice is heard um, and that they feel confident that teachers understand what's happening for them. I think it's really helpful to work alongside school to support your child to feel that they're involved in the solutions as much as possible. Um, And to offer that reassurance and let your child know what steps are going to be taken and why. They don't need to agree with them, but if we can let them know why, uh, as parents and as schools, we've decided that that's the action that we need to take and that that's coming from a place of support and concern and care, that can be really helpful. Having time to check in, so with school and with parents as well, having time to check in to um, figure out if actually those changes are having a positive impact, if it is making things worse and why, what we might need to be doing differently. But just keeping a space to constantly check in and and to have, um, uh, to be able to listen to the young person's voice. But I think then on the other hand, um, if your child is anxious about raising the issues with school and concerned that it might make things worse, we might need to let them know why as school and as parents, we feel it's important to have those conversations, that it's not okay that they're being bullied and actually that we're going to make the decision to speak to school and let them know why we are taking that decision um, and reassuring that it is coming from that position of love and support. Yes. Are there any things that we shouldn't do as parents when it comes to dealing with bullying or, in fact, any mental health issue? Um, I think parents shouldn't be worried about looking after their own mental health. I think we want our children to be healthy and happy. Um, And when there are difficulties, parents can understandably feel set adrift or sometimes they might feel ill-equipped. So we work really, really hard to support our children. But it's important to acknowledge that it might, what it might bring up in ourselves as well, it might reconnect us with our own childhood difficulties um, and the emotions that we struggled with as children. So if we notice that we're struggling as parents, it might be really tempting to think, gosh, we just need to get through this. But remembering that we aren't the only parent who struggled with their children's experiences of bullying, um, of being bullied and the impact that can have on their mental health. It might be a really lonely place. And I think it's okay for parents um, to acknowledge that sometimes people around them, friends or family might not be able to relate to their family's experiences. So to ask for support and to take the time to think about their own emotional well-being. Um, I think also parents shouldn't feel that they need to put that pressure on themselves to try to fix in. When we see that our child is faced with painful experiences, it can raise our own fears and anxieties. And as parents, we want to take action. We want to make things better. 
But actually, we then can place really um, tricky expectations on ourselves to always get it right. And, and we might not be able to get it right for our child all the time. And that's okay. But what we need to do, I think, as parents is to acknowledge that um, we don't get it right all the time and to have that open conversation to think about what we need to do differently. And that's quite helpful for the child as well, isn't it? To to know that, that you're willing to say that, you know, I hold my hands up, I don't get everything right, I do make mistakes too. Yeah, and I think as parents, it, it's as parents, it's okay for us to um, to be good enough because I think absolutely that that then opens up a conversation that we're good enough and sometimes we don't get it right, but we're here and we're open to listening. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I mean, we've just talked, uh, touched upon this about um, the kind of loneliness and the feeling of isolation. But in what other ways does this impact on the mental health of the whole family, perhaps on siblings as well? What, what can be done to help those affected? Yeah, I think absolutely um, mental health can ripple into every aspect of a young person's lives and their family's lives. Because when our children are struggling, we as parents are struggling as well. And there's lots of um, challenges that we might face. We might feel worried. We might be losing sleep. Um, it might be we need to take time off work or juggling those competing demands of looking after siblings while it is that we are um, also having to support our child to attend professional's appointments. So I think, again, it's that idea of just slowing down and having conversation and acknowledging difficulty. I think as parents, we often don't want to worry siblings we don't want to maybe um, highlight that there are difficulties but it's really likely that actually siblings brothers and sisters have noticed that things are tough and that as a family there are difficulties that that you're facing so it's important to talk um, and we might be anxious about talking with siblings but they need their own space they need their own space to think about what's happening at home how they're making sense of it, what support that they might need. So I think thinking about the impact of um, mental health within a family, it's thinking about how you have those conversations together, but also how it is that you think about what it means for you and, and what support you might need um, alongside what your family needs. And is there support available? for parents whose kids are being bullied? Is, is there some other kind of national charities that you can look at or people that you can speak to? I think there are loads of great online resources. Um, Young Minds and the Samaritans, for example, have really great um, information pages about bullying, but all sorts of other aspects 
of mental health and how it is that you can support people. There's uh, young people. There's also resources on there to think about um, parents' mental health and, and how to have some of those difficult conversations with siblings. If it is that parents are worried about a young person's mental health, it, contacting your GP, GP can often have lots of um, really good advice about local resources um, that, uh, and also make referrals into mental health services, NHS services. So I think get on the internet, have a, a look to see what there is out there because there's often lots of great national support, but local charities as well that are able to support young people's mental health. So tell me about the Purple House Clinic um, and what it does and why you decided to set it up. Uh, Mental health is so important. And I think from my experience of working in mental health services, and I've worked in all sorts of different settings, from the prison service to CAMS and eating disorder teams, that I've really seen the impact that mental health support can have um, for an individual, how it can help them to achieve their goals and aspirations and how mental health support can also help um, others that surround that individual. I think for me, being a psychologist has meant that I've been able to offer a space where someone can take care of their emotional well-being. And I often think that um, therapy is a bit like going to the gym for your mental health. So I opened the Purple House Clinic in Birmingham in November because I really wanted to um, create a clinic which was that safe space where people could come they could think about exploring difficulties um, and we could welcome them to access the support they needed when they needed it. So it's been hard work setting up the clinic and at times there's been moments of self-doubt um, and frustration with flat pack instructions and I'm sure that there is a joke about how many psychologists it takes to build a chair but the clinic is open. <laughs> uh, yeah. There has, yes, and the amount of cardboard that I've created. Uh, but the clinic is open um, and I couldn't be prouder. It's a really exciting opportunity for me as a psychologist and thinking about how I want to grow and develop as a psychologist, but also being able to um, offer mental health support to children and adults and to welcome people into what I think, and I might be a bit biased, is a really lovely place Um and since opening the doors, we've also welcomed um, some really great and experienced clinicians to work alongside me. So we have speech and language therapists, psychologists, psychotherapists. So we're really um, hoping that we're going to be able to uh, um, offer the expertise that people need at times when they're struggling. Yeah, you talk about a wealth of experience there. Can you share some of your success stories without naming or identifying anybody? I think, yeah, there is a wealth of experience. It kind of makes me feel quite old. And whenever I've met with a young person who's having a tough time, um, who's come to a session and has spoken to me about their experiences and why they're struggling, I think for me, that's the success story. It, it's never easy for anyone to come and ask for support. And especially for a young person who might be juggling really big emotions um, about what it means to come and talk to someone and to share their difficulties they might have these big emotions of shame, fear and anxiety and being able to offer that space where they can come along and make sense of that is really, you know, I think is absolutely that success story. And every individual is different. Um, it can take time for a young person to feel safe enough to talk about their experiences. 
there might be ups and downs. And often in therapy and the work I do, we get thrown curveballs at times. But if a young person feels that they're able to come and see me, that we can make sense of the difficult stuff together, that's the success story because actually that young person knows that there is support when times are hard. Do you think there's there's still a stigma around poor mental health? And what could we do if you think that there is? What do you think we could do to change mindsets on that? Yeah, I think that there has been some really positive movement in raising awareness of mental health and starting conversations that supports individuals to think about their mental health and when and where to seek support. Yeah, on the other hand, I do think it's important to acknowledge that there is still stigma and that stigma can create barriers to um, barriers for people to access support and to be able to have some of these difficult conversations. I think we all play a role in breaking down stigma and it might be that one of the first steps is to think about how we talk about mental health and how we talk about mental health with other people. Talking about thoughts and feelings can be really uncomfortable and we often want to avoid things that make us feel uncomfortable. But actually talking about mental health isn't about an expectation to have all the answers and to be able to fix it. It's okay to say that we don't know what to say, that we can't find a solution to the difficulty. But what we can do is to have a conversation. Um, We don't need to put a silver lining around um, mental health. If someone shares something really difficult, we need to connect and acknowledge that that was really tough and that we're here to listen um, to their experiences without making judgment. It really is okay to talk about mental health. And yes, others might have bigger problems than me. But if we're struggling, no matter how small we think it is, and no matter um, what has led to our worries, we need to talk about it. And and for us to break down that stigma by talking about the uncomfortable stuff. Mm, yes. Do you think mental health issues uh, have increased over the last kind of five, ten years? Or, or is it just that we do talk about them more now? Yeah, I think we definitely, I think... Breaking down some of that stigma has meant that we are talking about mental health more. I think it's really great that there are lots of campaigns that we um, can see around mental health and how those campaigns are talked about in schools. But we do find ourselves in an increasingly complex world and there are different challenges um, that we might need to be mindful of. I think if we think about young people in particular, technology is ever-changing and it does make the world more complex. Mobile phones, for example, we are now carrying these devices where we're constantly comparing ourselves with others. But what we're actually doing is we're comparing our behind the scenes with everyone else's highlight reels. And we can become really preoccupied with anxieties about how we're viewed by others um, and really critical of ourselves. And we live in this world where we're expected to constantly be available and to respond to messages, notifications. So I think that there are different challenges um, in the here and now. And rather than try to think about our children's world through our own experiences of being children, we need to be open to learning about our children's worlds and the different challenges that that brings. So I think positively, I, I do think that there's more awareness of mental health and how important it is. And that it's equally as important as our physical health. Um, but we just need to think about actually for young people, what is it about their ever-changing worlds that 
are those difficulties and, and how we might need to understand those. What would be your five top tips for helping a family to maintain good mental health? Yeah, I think that we all have mental health and it's really important for us and our families to find ways that we can look after ourselves and can prioritise our emotional well-being. We often do loads to think about our physical health. We go to the gym, we eat healthily, but we also need to prioritise and think about mental health. There are loads of helpful resources and apps that we can access um, that give ideas about how to maintain good mental health. It might be going for a walk, um, spending time in nature, having something as simple as taking a breath and having a cup of tea. But as a family, thinking then about what works for you, because it's going to be different for every individual and for every family as well. So I think when thinking about your family's mental health and what can support, it might be thinking a little bit about an emotional um, bank account. So in that bank account, you place deposits and you take withdrawals. Um, think about what do you do that boosts your emotional well-being and leads to making a deposit. This could be listening to music after a stressful day. It could be carving out time to enjoy hobbies or interests or spending time with others. And on the other hand, what leads to making withdrawals and how at times you need to plan more ways to make deposits and when it is that you need to review your emotional bank account to think about how you prioritise those deposits or get those deposits back on track. That's a really good way of thinking about it. And to get the kids involved with that as well, to get them to think of having it as a bank account. Yeah, absolutely. And you can do that in all sorts of ways. You could actually physically have a bank account. And as a family, if you've got ideas, different ideas about what boosts mental health, maybe as a family you choose which ones you're going to put in the bank account and how you're going to do that together. Mm, I love that. Yeah, that's really good. So how has everything that you've learned in your clinic and beforehand changed your outlook on life? I have learned so much from the people that I work with, but I think for me as a psychologist, a really overarching theme has been about being compassionate, acknowledging that we don't always get it right, we don't always succeed, sometimes we struggle, sometimes we fail, but that's okay. Um, and it's okay not to get things right all the time. Uh, I'd say being self-compassionate um, and stopping and giving ourselves a break and just being kind to ourselves. I think for me as a psychologist, that's been one of the most important things that I've learned from the work that I've done and from the wonderful clients that I've met. Fantastic. Yeah, I think we could all learn from that, couldn't we? So we have a series of questions that we ask all of our guests. So I'm going to ask them of you now. What are the two things you would tell your 18-year-old self if you had the chance? Gosh, I'm sure that there's probably lots of things I'd tell my 18-year-old self. Um, but the two things that I'd probably really want to tell my 18-year-old self is um, to step into things that make us feel, that would make me feel anxious or stressed and that it's okay to step outside of your comfort zone. I think... Um, because this can often lead to opportunities. I think this is something that I've definitely learned along the way, um, but it would have been helpful to let my 18-year-old self know that actually sometimes stress and anxiety is a good thing and it can show us a lot about our strengths and resilience. Um, I think I'd also let my 18-year-old self know that the inner critic isn't always right. We all have that self-doubting voice that actually tells us that we aren't good enough, we shouldn't try new things, we could fail, it could go wrong. 
but that inner critical voice isn't always isn't always right and I'd encourage my 18 year old self to notice the inner critic and to pause and imagine the possibilities if it turned out as we'd hoped and actually what's the worst thing that could happen but on the other hand what's the best thing that could happen if we tried something different and we challenged ourselves mm, yeah definitely so what are three things that you love to do every day? What gives you a great start, end routine to the day? Um, for me, I think a really important part of my daily routine is listening to music and having a good sing-along, although I'm not the most tuneful. So it's either in the car when I'm cooking dinner, folding, washing, all of those really exciting day-to-day -day jobs that we have to do. But I think for me, it's such an important part of my daily routine because it can be something different on pen depending on what I need. Sometimes I need a release after a tough day. Sometimes I need to listen to a song and sing along that energizes me, that makes me feel uplifted. Um, I recently went to see my son sing in the Young Voices Choir and there were 5,000 children all rocking along, singing together. And it was just so amazing to see what joy music could bring and how it could connect people. Um, and, and how I think as a parent sitting there, music connecting to really lovely memories and experiences. So I think, yeah, that for me is a really important part of my daily routine. And you'll often see me driving around belting out some tunes. Um, and as a psychologist, actually, when I think with people about their emotional well-being bank account and how they can make deposits. Music is often something that comes up that's taking time to listen to music, to distract from that inner critical voice, um, can be really powerful and it can be a really helpful coping strategy. On the other hand, I think another important part of my daily routine is um, taking time to be quiet and peaceful. Um, as a busy mum, it's often I often don't find time and, and that there are enough hours in the day and I can struggle with that guilt of sitting and not constantly ticking off the to-do list. So finding the time to sit without distraction and it doesn't always have to be for a long period of time but just that space to take a breath, have a cup of tea it is a really important part of my daily routine. So I think maybe not three but those two for me are book and bookend my day um, and give me a really great start and a really great ending. Oh, I'm with you on both of those. Yeah, definitely. Especially the singing one. <laughs> um, what would be the one piece of advice you would give to a parent whose child is perhaps refusing help with bullying? Um, I think it would be about keep being curious, um, offering those opportunities to listen without judgment, to take that pressure off yourself, to not feel that you have to fix it. Um, and to acknowledge that this probably is going to be a journey and it's going to be a process of supporting your child through that experience of being bullied and um, their mental health difficulties. So to take it step by step, don't focus on um, getting stuck with becoming preoccupied by the big stuff, just taking that thing step by step um, and breaking things down into small manageable chunks. Yes, that's really helpful. So it's been great talking to you, Danielle. Thank you so much. You've given us so many great tips there. How do people find out more about Purple House Clinic? Yes, yeah, so if you wanted to visit our website, so if you just searched um, the Purple House Clinic, 
There's a website there that um, has got all the information about the services we deliver. There are also other clinics um, around the UK and Scotland. So it might be that you want to explore um, if there are other local Purple House clinics um, that you would like to access support from. But yeah, and please feel free to pick up the phone at any time. There's myself and Tracy, who is the administrator that I work with, that we're always here to listen and answer any queries and, and to think about how um, the services that we offer, whether they're going to be a good fit for what people need. Thank you so much. Have a great day. You can read more of Danielle's advice on the Birmingham Live website and on the Brummy Mummies Facebook page and Instagram. You can find out more about the Purple House Clinic via the website www.purplehouseclinic.co.uk and clicking on the link for Birmingham. Please share this episode with anyone who may find it useful. Follow Brummy Mummies on social media and sign up to our free newsletter. You may also find it useful to listen to our podcasts with parenting mental health specialist Suzanne Alderson, anti-violence campaigner Alison Cope, and education expert Emma Pinnock. See you next time and take care.